Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of my podcast. It's called Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. My name is John Leahy. Thanks so much for being with us here on the podcast this week and every week. Before we get started with this week's episode, I would like to thank my guest from last week, Jason Arsenault, a.k.a. J-Dog. He was here to help me uh, preview the 2022 NFL season. I hope that was an entertaining episode for you. And I just wanted to let you know before we get started that uh, I encourage you all to check out the new website. Well, it's not really a new website, but it's the website we have for this podcast. You can find it at LeahyStorytelling.com. That's L-E-A-H-Y, Storytelling.com. When you get over to that website, you're going to find all the episodes that we've done from day one. Uh, You're also going to find... Uh, an area where you can leave a review. You can leave a certain number of stars for an episode, like zero to five. You can also leave a written review. There's a way for you to contact me through voicemail. There's a a purple microphone on the lower right-hand corner of each page. So if you'd like to contact me that way, uh, that's great. We also have some videos up there of some music I've done. And also, uh, we have a blog which uh, has some entertaining stuff. So please feel free to check that out. It is at LeahyStorytelling.com. Well, we're going to move back over to baseball this week, and specifically baseball broadcasting. We have uh, a very, very fascinating guest with us. She is one of the few uh, female play-by-play announcers in minor league baseball. She works with the Jupiter Hammerheads, which is the A-level of the Miami Marlins, and the Palm Beach Cardinals, the A affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals. Joining us this week, it is Lisa Pride. Lisa, it is so great to have you here. I can't wait to talk baseball with you. Thank you so much for having me on, John, and I am ready to talk baseball. All right. We have uh, an action-packed 45 or 50 minutes to get to. And and first of all, Lisa, I'd I'd like to first talk about a little bit about your background going way back. Uh, You mentioned off the air, and uh, I had done some research on this. You uh, grew up outside of Cleveland, and I guess one of your earliest influences on uh, baseball broadcasting on the radio was the great Ernie Harwell, who was the voice of the Detroit Tigers for many years years. Uh, Is is he kind of what got you excited about broadcasting? I think, you know, what got me excited was being in the car all the time with my dad and, um, and listening to whoever was on the radio. Most of the time it was the Indians. So I heard like Herb Score, Joe Tate, Nev Chandler, you know, Tom Hamilton, who is still there and I still love to tune into. And then Ernie Harwell came in and also Marty Brenneman because we could get, you know, the radio waves from in Cincinnati and yeah. Detroit. And then when my husband played for the Tigers, you know, Ernie was around and he was a guy that I just love listening to his stories and how he just presented the game and just get it, you know, infatuated with that. So, yeah, it was just kind of like you're always kind of telling your dad, hey, can we put on some music or something else? <laughs> he loved listening to the, you know, Indians games and he loved listening to talk radio. So I'm not a person probably that would be really I always think I'm like, I really can't get on and, you know, criticize or give a, I don't like to give too much opinions um, on uh, players, you know, and of teams and of performances because uh, I, I really I can relate to the athlete. So, um, so I'm like, I don't think I could ever do talk radio, but I just 
grew up listening to it and love listening to it. Yeah, you know what the great thing about Ernie was? He was such a great storyteller. When you were listening to Ernie Harwell call games, and he was on WJR in Detroit, and here in Boston, we could get the signal at night. Uh, the great thing about Ernie, Lisa, was that he was such a great storyteller, and he made you feel like you were in the living room uh, sitting right next to him on the couch. And uh, I know for a lot of broadcasters, uh, he was a big inspiration just for that reason alone. Yeah, that's exactly what um, drew me into, you know, broadcasting too, is listening to the storytellers and then wanting to be like that, to tell those stories. But it really drew me into the game. He he presented the game so well. You could feel like you were right there, the way that he described, you know, the weather, the, you know, the scenery, the, as far as the field, the fans. I mean, you felt like you were right there with him and there was, you know, that you weren't somewhere like in your bedroom or, you know, off in the car or wherever. You felt like you were right there with him. And then just being able to weave in those stories throughout the game, you know, while calling the balls and strikes. I wish I would have grown up listening to, to Vince Scully too. I just, I right. didn't hear him at all. But then later I did, you know, and, um, and it was very similar. Ernie and Vin were very similar. Yeah, we're going to talk about Vin a little bit later. But, uh, you know, just talking more about your, your upbringing and your breaking into sports, I noticed you attended the University of Dayton and also the University of Central Florida. Um, how crucial or important were those institutions in, in getting you started in uh, broadcasting, if at all? Yes. Um, love, you know, saying that I'm a flyer and also graduating from UCF, the University of Central Florida, that the first two years I spent, I was focused more on news and, um, and entertainment. And at the University of Dayton, I just had so many opportunities to get on the radio. But at the same time, I was a college athlete. I was um, playing Division One softball, fastball pitcher. So, uh, you know, doing both. So I, I had sports going on, but I was playing it. And at the same you know, same time learning all the skills with radio and television and getting a really good solid background education wise too. And the reason that I transferred is that I found out about um, a college program that Walt Disney World offered and that I could learn about the world of entertainment and film and TV. And so I did that. I took a semester off and did the college program in Orlando and I just caught the bug and I'm like, I'm either going to California or I'm going to stay here in Florida. Right. And so that's how I ended up at a um, University of Central Florida. And there at UCF, um, it was just, again, um, just having those opportunities and being in a school that um, was just small enough that I could have those opportunities. So I had my, you know, I was DJing and had my own show late at night. And then I was calling football games, baseball games. And I was the TV, I think we were called Knights, trying to remember what our um, TV uh show was called that we had on you know the local channels there um but i was a sports anchor and then at that time also so i kind of got i was getting away from the entertainment world a little bit and um just because i was you know sports has always been my life it's always been part of it and even though i kind of like everyone knew me like you know as like the girl that knew everything about sports or <laughs> you know the softball player like growing up that it still was um, I was still trying to like find my place. So I was still kind of trying to find other things and move away from it. But it just seemed like something kept bringing me back into the sports world and especially in broadcasting. So, um, and that is where not only getting the opportunities in college, but um, also um, getting my internship at uh, WASH TV, the local NBC affiliate. And that's where I met Stuart Scott. And yeah. He, Change my path forever. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to touch on uh, Stuart in a, in a moment. But um, when you worked at, at 
the NBC affiliate in Orlando as a news intern. I guess you you did that for a while, but your passion was really in sports, and I guess it was Stuart Scott who, who kind of steered you onto that path. Talk a little bit about uh, your experience as the intern and then subsequently uh, meeting Stuart and how special he was to your career. Yes, so I did. I was um, a news intern, and I loved it from day one. It was exciting, you know, and, and just getting the opportunities, getting in the helicopter and, you know, and flying to a breaking news story, being first on the scene for other breaking news, learning how to write. Um, really, everyone around, like, surrounding me in, in the newsroom was teaching me, you know, more than I could ever learn at school and, and being able to, um, so learning all those skills, whether it's anchor, reporter, um, editor, producer, it was fascinating. But at one point that, you know, sitting around on a weekend when things are a little slower and then, you know, everyone's kind of like cheering for something exciting to happen. But when you're in, you're in news, it's not like you're looking for the excitement that you are in sports, you know, right, somebody right. game winning shot or, you know, game winning home run or something. It's like you're basically cheering for something, you know, or you want something exciting to happen that is probably going to be you know, not good for someone else. And so at that point, I'm like, uh, I just don't see this as a career to like have to keep delivering bad news or, you know, being first on the scene where there's, you know, somebody hurt and, um, and worse. Right. So right. that's when I, um, I always talk to the sports guys, you know, I was always over there watching the games, talking to sports and, um, and just had the opportunity. Then when my internship ended in news, they're like, come on over in sports. And Stuart Scott was there along with Ricky Scarwood, the photographer and Mark Middleton was the main sports anchor. And we also had another anchor buddy who loved NASCAR and um and they just welcomed me in and i stayed there until i graduated and even after they like they just um taught me so much encouraged me let me be a part of everything i was going to you know orlando magic games and uh you know all kinds of uh you know division 1 college games pro hockey anything that came in they let me be a part of it was never like i didn't belong which um i was just you know, fortunate for in college and in high school and, you know, starting my career off to have and be surrounded like by people like that. And and when you talk about Stuart, the one thing with him is like, it was, it was his encouragement and he, um, he, he like celebrated the little things. And when I look back on it, I just laugh so hard because, you know, when you first like edit your first VO or you write your first little script or something, and it's just like amazing because you're like, oh my gosh, I did that. You know, look, that's <laughs> on TV. And and now I look back, I'm like, that was like the silliest thing, but he was so excited for me. You know, he was like, great job, you know, and always encouraging. And um, he made everything fun. It wasn't like... um that, oh, you're an intern, you know, stay here, you can't come, or he made sure that I was in the locker room, he made sure that I was interviewing, when he, he showed me how to um, hunt down stories and make interviews happen, he went to North Carolina when Michael Jordan was there, he pursued, it wasn't easy at the time to get an interview with Michael Jordan, nobody talked to Michael Jordan one-on-one, and he made it happen, and I was right there, he, like, he, you know, when he was making the calls, and I, I learned how to be a reporter from that, and, um, and then he let me be there, you know, when the interview happened, and, uh, yeah, and back then, too, because there were so very few women, and it was very, you know, unique, I guess, at the time, or, or whatever, but, um, they would have to, before I went into the Orlando Magic, 
locker room, they would have to announce woman in the locker room. Right. And then I could go in. Like it wasn't like they had to let everybody know first that, you know, a woman was coming in. But um, but he never it was never like he never joked about it. He never made me feel, you know, like and none of the guys around there either. So um, it just I just assumed everybody would be like that for the rest of my career. But, um, you know, everyone's different. But uh, and then just learning from him, not only like I said, to be just this excellent reporter, but to be yourself. He would go out and do stories. One of the stories that we always still talk about and that was just showed his personality um, was uh he was a. Um, I'll probably say this incorrectly in terms, but um, they, we had a rodeo at an arena, and he was the clown. I don't. I'm just. I don't know if that's correct. A rodeo clown. Yeah, that sounds and right. All dressed yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, all dressed up, and he got involved in the story. And um, Ricky Scarred, as I mentioned, he shot it. They creatively put it together, and I saw how sports was more than just you know um, highlights and anchoring, but how you can also make it fun, creative. And that was, you know, my entertainment part, too, that I was interested in besides just the X's and O's. So um, there was just so many things to learn. And then um, he and he even told me he was like when he started looking for jobs and, and interviewing at ESPN, he was like, you know, I see what you're doing because then he saw me starting to, you know, look for other jobs or internships and I went to CNN sports and I interviewed and had the opportunity to go with ESPN sports and, and do all these internships or get these freelance jobs. Um, and he was like, you're inspiring me. And I'm like, how am I inspiring you? You know, but he's like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, feel like that I can do it too. And I'm, you know, going to put out my resumes and do all this. So it was, it was so much fun um, at that point. And then just him, following my career and being there and, you know, giving me advice afterwards. And, and we had such a relationship where if I didn't fail, I mean, if I failed at something, I felt like I was letting him down and he's like, no, no, you're not letting me down. But I did because I just wanted to do so well for him. That's great. I noticed also that uh, you had a uh, trip to uh, Cape Cod. You worked in the Cape Cod League and your husband, Curtis, who we're going to touch on in a little bit, uh, he was an assistant coach for Wareham. So uh, uh, Cape Cod is a great place to call baseball. What would you think of that experience? Well, I had that on my bucket list from day one. And it, in the beginning of my career, it was just really hard. There wasn't a lot of opportunities. And I think there might have only been one TV broadcast with one team or something very, you know, not a lot as far as radio, TV or streaming. And um, so I had to wait a little bit to get that opportunity. And when it came, I was just so excited. And there is nothing like being on the Cape all summer and calling baseball games and, you know, and going around to these small towns and, and being there. And when I talk to the players then afterwards, it's like, you can talk to any of them that have been there. And, um, you know, you have that bond, that connection, like, Oh, I was in the Cape Cod league. And they're like, you were, where, you know, where were you? And like the stories being swapped and some of the players, that's their first experience really feeling what it's like to be a pro baseball player, even though it's not yeah. pro baseball, yeah. but just because they're playing every day and, you know, and they don't do that in college. They don't play every day, you know, for weeks on end. And so they would get a day off, but at the same time it was every day and they had to also have um, major league scouts there. So they wanted to be on their game, you know, on the top of their game every day. But the one thing, we talk they talk about is like you know looking back that was like the one of the best times in my life and I really wish I would have enjoyed it more you know because yeah. they do um feel that pressure because they know that's the elite league and there's scouts watching them and also because um it's not a lot of people know this but being a college athlete especially in baseball they 
you know, as soon as their season ends, whether it's with the College World Series or before, they're going right into the Cape Cod League. You know, school's out. They're on the road, you know, in the plane, whatever, going right to the Cape Cod League. It starts right away. And then as soon as it ends, they're like back in school. Like it just never ends. So like they really have, um, you know, a lot going on. So that that's what they say too, that they, they wish they would have enjoyed it more because it really was, you know, the, one of the best experiences and like the time of the life for them. Yeah. Being a Massachusetts resident, I can speak to uh, what it's like being on the Cape. I lived in Brewster for a while, way, way back before I even got into broadcasting. So it is a very special place, particularly in the summer. Um, I wanted to talk about women in uh, broadcasting, Lisa, and uh, we'll touch in a moment on some of the other female play-by-play broadcasters in baseball. But, uh, you know, women are starting to make advancements in the industry. Uh, What were some of the challenges and and roadblocks you had to try and overcome as you decided to make this career in play-by-play? And, you know, it's unfortunate, but women seem to have it tougher than men. It's it's, it's just the way it's always been. But what kind of difficulties did you... uh, Uh, experience and then subsequently conquer yes like fortunately as i mentioned with stuart scott many um of my colleagues that were you know males and all that um i was very welcomed and supported and i think um because right away i just was myself and i also had a a lot of knowledge and i wasn't someone that was trying to you know rock the boat or anything but um but then there were times that i encountered things also but um also the thing too with play by play it wasn't something that i was really trying for from the beginning okay so which you know i was more into storytelling and more into um you know sideline reporting or feature reporter and and those were the directions and and that's how my career started too as far as um being a sports you know editor producer reporter anchor um i was an anchor in in miami the weekend sports anchor and also up in providence was able and to get those opportunities along with other freelance um positions while i followed my husband around the country while he was playing ball so um so that wasn't, and, and I, I really thought about it a lot because I, um, you know, cause there's so, so many people talking about it now and, and so many other women out there. And I guess I did fall in where I always thought I was an individual, very independent, very wanted to be different, but never stand out. You know, I, I was always like that too, growing up that yeah. I, um, I didn't want to follow the crowd. Like if everybody wanted Nikes, I got converse you know like i was just always like just wanted but not like in a standout way you know not in a way like look at me so um so i didn't think i was like that with my career but then when i heard and have heard other people talk and when you talk about you know um the representation and what you you know see out there that's probably something that I kind of fell in that trap too, in a sense that I didn't see other women doing play-by-play in baseball. Yeah. So it wasn't something that I really thought would be a possibility. And also because I knew what the life was like. I knew that it's, you know, with my husband, I, I am always marveled at, you know, professional players, especially baseball players with the long season, like going on the road, you know, series after series, hotel after hotel, coming back, 
always being on the top of your game, not really, you, you know, you really have to find a way to rest. You, you can't just, you know, take a day off when you want. Right. And I'm like, how, I'm like, I don't know if I could do that, <laughs> you know, as, and that's what a play by play, you know, that's what radio and TV broadcasters do. They're the same, same as, you know, the athletes. And, um, so that was something that, and especially, you know, starting a family, I'm like, how would I do that? How could I do that? And I was fortunate to be able to give them the opportunity in minor leagues right here at our home and getting the support and being asked to do that. And so that and it was also still at the time for quite a while I was doing it. And I started it right when we started our family, like the same year that my daughter was born was the first year that I was calling minor league baseball games. Wow. So yeah. that, that was another t- And my husband was playing for the angels on the West coast. So I'm yeah. here in Florida. So it was, yeah. So that way I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to stay in the game. I will do feature reporting. I'll, you know, do videos or reports and, you know, for our um, teams right here, the hammerheads and Cardinals, you know, doing a lot of different um, freelance work while, calling play by play and I just felt like that was a way to connect with the players stay in the game you know be at the highest level knowing what's going on so it wasn't something that I really thought a future in and then um so just you know doing all those things over the years and being able to have time for my family too while my husband finished his career and then continued a baseball career by coaching baseball in, in college but um then seeing like Jill Guerin, Emma Tiedemann, Emily Messina, you know, Maura Sheridan, um, and, you know, Melanie Newman and Jenny Kavanaugh. And, and of course, Susan Waldman was out there and, and always, yeah. you know, yeah. an inspiration. But to see that they were getting these opportunities and doing what I've been doing, but I just wasn't doing it at the full-time level that they are. But, um, but seeing the doors open, I'm like, okay, wait, there is a possibility for this. You know, there, there is, but like, I just didn't see it in and I was like, I don't know how to fit that in my life, right, <laughs> but right. now it's different. And, and I've heard other people talk like that too. But like I said, I just didn't think I was that person that needed to see something to be something. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I kind of was, I kind of guess I needed to see it. Yep. Well, you touched on the other female broadcasters that are doing play by play. Emma Tiedemann uh, of the Portland Sea Dogs, uh, the Red Sox affiliate. We had Emma on last month, uh, Emily Messina, who does the play by play for Reading, the Phillies affiliate and uh, Jill and you mentioned her uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, with uh, Vesalia and uh, Mara Sheridan, who I also had on the podcast a while back. Mara, I met her when she did some games for the University of Vermont hockey. And Mara still is a very much uh, in the sports picture uh, with the play-by-play. Uh, so uh, the relationship between you and these other women, uh, Lisa, it, it seems like a special one. It seems like you can all count on each other. If you have suggestions, you know, that you bounce off each other. This seems like a really close relationship. Uh, so I wonder if you could just talk about your relationship with those other women and how supportive it's been. Yes, because I never had that kind of relationship because it was mostly male colleagues that I had and never really – you know, having like girls that could talk sports and, you know, and, and also did the same career as I, which um, there is more of now because going into the locker room, you know, the reporter, play-by-play broadcaster, anchor, um, I was usually the only one. And then maybe there was a woman that was in print journalism. So like, it was just us two, you know? And so um, then to, to be able to meet them, and that's the one good thing about our lost season of 2020, you know, and the pandemic, um, our lost season in minor league baseball, I talk about, cause we did not have a season, yeah. but to be able to connect um, via zoom 
and um, meet, uh, you know, Jill, Emma, Emily, and Maura. And we connected because Tim Neverett, um, he had uh, a Zoom meet for any broadcasters, you know, minor league broadcasters that wanted to come on and talk baseball with him, right. learn more about, right. you know, baseball. And and Emma was there. And so I was like, yeah, you know, we, we she then she reached out and connected with me and then we all connected. But um, other like I've never had a group like that that I, you know, could talk about the game and, you know, similar other interests. And Everyone, though, Jenny Kavnar, Melanie Newman, you know, Susan, everyone um, just really has been uh, just kind of like bonded. And, you know, we can we know that we can text, call, you know, ask any kind of questions. But um, during that season, too, uh, we thought, you know, wait, let's we were all like helping other women, other girls, other broadcasters. And we decided, you know, like, how can we get together and help? you know, a bigger group? How can we make, how can we not be the last ones? How can we build a pipeline? You know, how can we, how can we get to the big leagues too? You know, how, yeah. how can we do all this? And so then that's when I reached out to minor league baseball and their um, DEI department, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, um, and said, you know, this is who we are. This is what we like to do. Um, we have our, you know, male colleagues around minor league broadcasters, big league broadcasters that all see this, you know, um, as far as that we really need to diversify and be more inclusive in the baseball broadcast booth, especially in minor league baseball, you know, and here's these talented women that will hopefully get the opportunities and be promoted too. Um, and so unfortunately there was like a change going on at the time, you know, minor league baseball is being taken over by major league baseball. Um, and also with the pandemic and everything, but they were still, um, the people that were there in the DEI department, um, Belicia Montgomery, she helped and answered every question possible. She recommended that we started, you know, our own community so that we wouldn't be waiting around for what could possibly happen, but we can make things happen ourselves. And so Jill, Emma, Emily, and Moore all helped me. You know, they're good at graphics. They're um, great at networking and reaching out. We all have connections. And, and they helped me form one baseball mic so that way we could you know, have Zoom meets during the pandemic and during our season that wasn't, and, you know, and not only connect with our minor league broadcasters that some were working, some weren't, and kind of like just being able to network, meet, and help each other out, but also um, join together to, you know, be able to promote diversity and inclusion. And then we reached out to college and high school level and, and even, you know, um, graduate uh, aspiring baseball broadcasters, because we do, we want to build a pipeline. We want to um, make sure that we aren't the last, you know, give a pathway for other young women and other, you know, um, brown and black skinned and, you know, people of color and, and other underrepresented groups. We, we want to make sure that there is diversity because with diversity, with, you know, including all the, everyone's winning, you know, you're making a much better broadcast. Absolutely. Much better. Yeah, yeah so you're lifting everyone up. So, and the thing is, is that everyone that we talked to, and you would think you might get some pushback, um, but there wasn't. There, then there hasn't been. There hasn't been. It was everyone kind of realized, you know, that and really believed in it too. And it's continued to help. Whenever I call someone, 
you know, whether I know him or not, I'm just like, Hey, this is who I am. And, and can you help me out? Or what do you know? Or, you know, I'll like, like a college student might reach out and say, I'm interested in play by play broadcasting. That is from an underrepresented group, whether it's a woman or a woman or, you know, or other, but, um, and then I'll say, Hey, let, where do you live? Where are you going to college? Let me hook you up with this, you know, broadcaster that can, you know, be a mentor to you. You can ask questions or possibly help you get, you know, an internship or a job. So like, I'm constantly trying to, you know, connect people. And, um, and so that's really exciting to be able to do that. And then hopefully we will be doing even more. Absolutely. We're talking with Lisa Pride. She is the voice of the Jupiter Hammerheads and the Pam, uh, Palm Beach Cardinals down in Florida in the Florida State League. And, uh, Lisa, there was history made last summer. Back in July, we had the first all-female broadcast crew of a major league game between the Orioles and the Rays. You mentioned Melanie Newman. She was on the play-by-play. Sarah Langs was the color commentator, and Alana Rizzo was the field reporter. So uh, that was a huge, huge development, and uh, so glad to see women having those opportunities. I am, and what superstars they are that they were able to undertake that, you know, not really knowing each other that it's, it's hard, you know, when you get together and you don't have that rhythm when you're broadcasting too, let alone um, have the, not everyone has been on air, or, you know, been on a broadcast, but they were all pros and it's just exciting. And I know, you know, hearing the response and the young girls that continue to reach out to them. And, and I, I'm pretty sure everyone's seen, you know, especially with Melanie, the little girl that had the sign and wanted to meet Melanie and like, she's <laughs> at the booth. And it's just great to see those connections and know that, you know, they're making a difference and they're making a difference um, with everyone. Right. Let's um, let's talk about your husband now for a few moments here, Lisa. He is Curtis Pride. Uh, of course, he had uh, experience in the majors. He played for six major league teams. We know him here in Boston. He played for the Red Sox, also uh, with the Yankees, the Angels, the Tigers, the Expos, and the Braves. The cool thing about Curtis is uh, both of his first hits with the Yankees and the Red Sox were home runs. So uh, that's pretty cool. But the unique thing about Curtis is that he's actually deaf, and he supports you, I guess, by reading your lips while you're broadcasting. Tell us about that fascinating dynamic. Yes, he does. And then he'll even have people like listen to the broadcast and say, you know, how's she doing? You know, what is she saying? And and then I'm, I've been looking at and I looked into like how to caption, you know, radio broadcasts. It, uh, it's probably an expense that not everyone wants to undertake, especially in the minor league level. But um, he wholeheartedly supports me and and always has. And it's just been a great relationship in that way. And, and as I mentioned before that, you know, I was on this career trajectory and, um, then when we were married, I just, I wanted to be there for all those special moments. So I still continue to work, just not full-time or full-time where he was, and then had to like pack up and then, you know, go home and then find another job or, and then, uh, but you know, just having that, being able to see like so many sides of the baseball world, understanding the coaching part, understanding, you know, the player part, understanding, you know, as far as like front office, understanding our broadcast, you know, broadcasters and, and understanding all those um, just uh, with his experiences. And then because he is deaf, um, understanding, you know, what it means to really be inclusive, you know, and have 
and have make sure people have access to things. And um, and I know his whole life he was kind of fighting, like being that deaf baseball player. Of course, he wants to be a role model and and make a difference, and you know all those kind of things. But at the same time, when it came down though to actually producing he wanted to just be known as a baseball player right and um so i kind of understand that too because that's what um women in sports want to be known as too that you know it's like they like to um you know everyone likes to say oh the first women to do this or or there's a you know a woman or a girl going to be doing this in sports and then we're at that point too where like we just want to be known for being a good broadcaster Absolutely. And, you know, I, I read something online. I'm not sure where online it was, but uh, Greg Maddox made the comment that uh, now pitchers put gloves over their mouths because they don't want uh, their signs being stolen. And I guess Curtis was, was a big reason why that happened because, uh, you know, he would read the lips of, of people and then communicate that to uh, his teammates in the dugout. So that, that, that's kind of a little unique thing. And, and that's why you see pitchers with the gloves over their mouths now. Yeah, we got a big chuckle out of reading that article. And um, Greg Maddox, always such a great friend, teammate, and always made us laugh and still does. But uh, that's true that Curtis um, could read lips. He had excellent eyesight, could read lips and would relay, you know, whatever was being talked about on the field. And when he, since he was with many different teams, then they kind of like caught around, you know, around the league that they realized that, hey, there's this deaf baseball player. He can read lips. We better be careful, you know, <laughs> what we're saying. And I know the guys, he, he always tells me, he has so many stories that he hasn't shared with me yet, but that, that pop up all the time. I'm like, wait, what, when did that happen? Or how did, you never told me that. But then he, but also that um how his teammates, he was in the Arizona Fall League, and um, how they loved having him around when they were off the field, you know, wanting to know what girls were saying about him <laughs> <laughs> or, or what they could, you know, re- how they could use him in that way too. So they have some really good stories, but yeah, that is, that is funny. You know, what Maddox said that that's why he, you know, put his, started putting the, you know, his glove over his face. So Curtis couldn't read his lips and you know, <laughs> relay it to his coaches and teammates. Well, and then he was a great teammate. It was to be on that 1998 team with the Atlanta Braves. That was, that's one of our, you know, favorite memories to be on a team that, should have went to the World Series and won it. Right. But um, to be around all those Hall of Famers and uh, the coaching staff, it was an incredible season. Oh, I bet it was. Uh, now, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, motherhood in baseball. Now, that's that's one of the challenges, I guess, uh, where you're trying to raise a family while you're trying to uh, uh, advance your broadcasting career. Uh, motherhood and, and raising children, uh, that's oftentimes a unique situation for, for women. Uh, how did you manage uh, motherhood in baseball? Yeah, especially when your husband retires and decides to become a college baseball coach out of state. Yeah, oh, boy. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. But um, he is still so much hands-on and so supportive. But, uh, yes, that's why um, I've taken on a lot of freelance and part-time positions in order to be there for my kids. But baseball has been a great place. And I tell all the, you know, women and the guys that are younger and starting families too. I'm like, you are going to have so much fun. Your kids are going to have so much fun. 
your kids can come to the game every day. You're going to have, you know, with the season ticket holders there every day, I'm like, you're going to have a lot of babysitters. <laughs> right, so I'm like, right. it's like, it's a very safe environment, especially a minor league ballpark. So I have so much thanks to give to everybody at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium, especially Mike Bauer, who's been there for our general manager for quite a while, but like Andrew Seymour and, and just all the guys that, um, and even the coaching staff, we had some coaches come through that they had kids like Brian Schneider, who played with my husband in the big leagues and then came back to coach um, for the Jupiter Hammerheads. But, and they have um, children that are a similar age as my two. So I could bring them, you know, we would come right after school. I'd prepare for the game. They do their homework or they'd have, you know, go help. They have learned. I always tell my son, I think he can run a ballpark and, you know, now because they have learned every job and enjoy <laughs> every job. And, um, and they, um, I could see them from above, you know, they're like, give them some money, give them their ball gloves. And they are, you know, my son loves to catch fly balls and, you know, foul balls. And, um, and, and it's just been a joy having them be able to come to work with me in that way, you know, come to the ballpark and I'm calling a game, but can see them from above and knowing that, you know, the workers there are, uh, you know, watching them, but at the same time, you know, they're helping them too. And they, they were always involved in the in-game promotions, you know, running the bases, chasing the mascot, dizzy bat, whatever kind of a promotion they were always involved in too. So now they're getting to that age where uh, they might start actually working there that, you know, be a good part-time job for them or a summer job for them to be yeah. like a bat boy or, you know, tickets, programs, like all the things that they already know and have helped do to do, they could actually start doing on their own. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's just a wonderful place to, you know, raise your family, bring your kids and, and, and um, have them enjoy baseball too. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Susan Waldman earlier. I have to bring her up because, uh, you know, she has been on the Yankees radio network with John Sterling for years and years. Uh, she's finally getting the uh, recognition she deserves uh, in the uh, Baseball Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Uh, so she has been uh, terrific over the years. And how has she influenced you? She has been a person that I have admired from afar that, um, you know, for quite some time, I just felt like she was on that pedestal way above me. And then when I did finally have the opportunity to speak with her, she is just tremendous. You know, we can talk about so many things um, because she has been around the game so long. And, and I've been around, you know, with my husband and also as a reporter and then as a play-by-play -play broadcaster. And she has opened herself up to helping us in any way she can can, you know, as far as um, giving us advice as a woman in baseball, giving us advice as, you know, just being a broadcaster in baseball. Um, and I just, I'm just so glad that, that she is being even more recognized than she has ever been. And she should always have been. And every time I talk to her, I learn something new and she's, she's fascinating. She's just fascinating. And what a strong person to have to go through you know, the things that she had to in order to get to where she is today, that it wasn't easy. And, and I know just by being a reporter that there just wasn't a lot of women. And that's why I said I kind of admired her from afar because I, there just wasn't a lot of ways to connect with other women. And there weren't a lot of women in baseball. So um, I just admire her so much. And I'm so grateful that we have the relationship where I could, you know, call or text her anytime. And I've been up to New York and visited her, you know, at the game. So, yeah, she's just, just there's just so much to say about her. <laughs> Absolutely. She also survived breast cancer, too. So that's that's mm -hmm. a huge uh 
huge thing. Uh, a couple of more things quickly, uh, Lisa, before we wrap it up. Uh, you are the co-founder and VP of the Together with Pride, uh, Pride Foundation. Uh, tell us about that and what it is. Yes. Um, we started that while Curtis was playing so that he could, and I could also, um, we could all work together and impact families that had children with hearing impairments or, you know, were deaf. And um, he had such great people in his life along with his family. So we wanted to make sure that, you know, we could reach out to other families and give that support. And then it also, when my daughter was born, she um, was born deaf, very similar to Curtis's hearing loss, um, as far as not being able to hear, you know, in either ear and without the help of, you know, either reading lips or possibly a hearing aid. But we decided, and he was, he knew more about it than me and was really knew right from the start what to do that um, for her to have cochlear implants. And so she is bilateral. She has bilateral cochlear implants and um, got them, had the surgery very early before she was a year old, the first one. And right after she was a year old, the second one. And so that was something that too, that we were using with our foundation to help then others. And when she was in elementary school, we helped her put together a wiffle ball tournament in order to raise money so that she could also contribute and, uh, you know, be able to donate money to help other kids have the same opportunity that she did to hear with cochlear implants. And so it's been, you know, a really good experience. Um, we haven't done as much as we would like to lately. We've just been so busy with our kids and work to, you know, being in a different state, but, um, that, that she, uh, she speaks perfectly and hears so well with her cochlear implants and she loves to sing and and it's just to have the you know opportunities like that she does and to be able to do that for others and to be able to help them in any way and and Curtis is you know fortunate to be able to do that every day when he is with Gallaudet University where he coaches since he is um, a coach you know and and the players are um, you know it's an all deaf school so the funny fact there is that he did not know sign language because he always read lips and was oral and that's how he brought up and so when he went to coach at Gallaudet University they they were pretty much wait a minute (laughs) you need to know sign language and um and so uh he had to take a sign language class to be able to you know be able to communicate better with his players and coaches so um (laughs) we always laugh about that but um that's that's something that he had to do and uh yeah so it's just we just feel very fortunate in any way that we can help others i know that being a mom then you know, of a child that is deaf. And also my son has one sided, um, he has a unilateral hearing loss. So he only hears in one ear. And so to know, you know, the questions that I had and the resources that we had, but still needing to talk to, you know, other parents and, and also knowing how much it costs, you know, all of the costs involved with it is, and, and, you know, that, so that we're just really happy to be able to help in any way um, others. Well, that's a fascinating story, Lisa, and uh, God bless your daughter. God bless your family. I, I, I hope that uh, all continues to work well in, in the improvement of hearing. Uh, I, I just have to ask one last thing. We just lost a, a real icon uh, in the play-by-play world, uh, specifically the baseball world. Uh, the great Vin Scully passed away. 
then, of course, the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers for 67 years, and uh, well, the Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers for 67 years. And uh, the thing about Vin is, not only was he the best broadcaster that ever lived, but he was also one of the most decent human beings uh, that ever lived. But um, you know, anybody who follows baseball and play-by-play certainly has an opinion about Vin Scully. I just like to ask you to reflect back a little bit and uh, and tell me your uh, thoughts about Vin and his passing and uh, his ultimate legacy. Vin is, as I mentioned before, a broadcaster that I wish I would have been able to listen to growing up. So those that did, how fortunate. As soon as um, MLB Network came out or something, or, or baseball games that could be, you know, on um, DirecTV, I don't know, the first year that I could, I, uh, you know, quickly... Um, you know, bought whatever I could to listen to baseball. And that was my first experience really listening to Vince Scully and hearing him and just being fascinated by how his voice just draws you in and the stories. And, and I'm just thinking, how does he remember all this? You know, where does he pull this from that he can just remember a story just like that and it fits perfectly in the situation and still he's giving us the game call. And um, so I just became very fascinated with him and um, would always listen to him as much as I can in any way. Then, you know, audio-wise with um, the MLB app, you know, tuning into all of his games, especially because I always said I belong on the West Coast because I am a night owl, so (laughs) I I stay up to the last game is over. (laughs) So I was always tuning into him. Um, I was like, you can't sleep till baseball's done. (laughs) Right, right. You never know what could happen, right? You never know. No hitter, you know, game ending, you know, you you don't know. So you, you just get fascinated by so I I'm, fell asleep listening to him many times but um yeah so he means so much to the broadcast world and I know he has touched so many people you know players and fans and um and other broadcasters and um you know hearing stories about him I wish I would have you know been able to have a story that I could tell too but he was the kind of person that just um had time for everybody right you know everybody that wanted to meet him or had some kind of connection or he would make time whether it was writing a letter or you know making a phone call um or you know so many requests like can you you know do this for my brother or can you do this for my you know sister or fellow broadcaster that he really complied to all that and and that's just a really good individual that you know that has the time and really, and you could tell it wasn't something that he felt, oh my gosh, I have to do this. You know, yeah. he wanted to, he, yeah. he really enjoyed that. And for him to bring that joy to people and, and those memories. And I've talked to like some coaches even here in Jupiter that um, played when he was, you know, the broadcaster there. And they, they talked about it too. He, they, they said that um, you know, he'd come down to the clubhouse and he knew a little bit about, of course he knew about the Dodger players, but they, they felt like he for they didn't know how he knew <laughs> you know that they he would always ask me like you know how is you know you know their child or something that would just come up they're like how does he know that you know <laughs> and they would and then they shared with him but he truly he wasn't asking you know just to so that he had a story for the broadcast he was asking because they felt like he truly cared and um so they you know the players and you know had that connection and they have those memories that they will always remember too so yes it um He's just an icon that I think has affected so many people and has really affected the way games are broadcast, too. Yeah. In fact, I thought the the one cool thing, it, it never happened, but the, the cool thing I always uh, th- thought would be great would be if uh, you could set your GPS voice to Vin Scully. 
Can you imagine how cool that would be? You know, if Vin is giving you directions, uh, uh, you would, you'd never want to leave the car, right? I mean, so uh, yeah. maybe one of uh, maybe the um, Dodgers they used to or could have you know used his voice for um, for uh, the pitch. Um, oh gosh, now I'm I'm losing the the right lingo here. But um, the the um, pitch. Um, what do they call it? I'm trying to think that where they put the you know whether it's a the curveball fastball whatever oh yeah yeah the cap of the yeah because yeah, i know they use different voices yeah <laughs> you know, like from star wars and all that <laughs> his voice would be great <laughs> yeah his voice very would... calming right <laughs> right his voice would be great for anything so uh, we all mourn the loss of vin and uh thank you lisa for sharing uh not only that uh perspective but uh, all of the uh stories you've, you've told us today how can people tune into your broadcasts um, yes, you can go to the Palm Beach Cardinals and the Jupiter Hammerheads websites. There's a link there that you just click on there, um, for each game. There's a, a game day similar to MLB, and it'll say audio, so you can click on to that. You can also get the Minor League Baseball app similar to the MLB app on your phone or um, you know iPad, wherever. And then also there's a little icon like a headphone or it'll say audio that you can click on there. So you can listen to us, we stream every game and we are the only ballpark that has two teams and has games every day that we can stream except Mondays since in the Florida State League, we have Mondays off league wide. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And uh, can people find you on Twitter? Yes, they can. Lisa H. Pride. Well, that's fantastic. Lisa, we're, we're out of time, but uh, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the podcast. Uh, just a fascinating, fascinating story. And, um, you know, the the way that you've been able to succeed in the industry is, is certainly um, very, very inspiring. And, and, you know, with your husband and the way that uh, you two have been able to rise up in baseball, I think it's great. And, and I, I wish you all the best of luck in the world. And you're always welcome on this podcast. And, and again, thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you so much. It's truly been a you know privilege and an honor. All right, Lisa, thanks so much. We invite you to stay with us. We'll have more on the podcast next week. We publish every Wednesday. Be sure to check out the website for the podcast at LeahyStorytelling.com. This is John Leahy. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org. 